Hey guys, it's Joseph Noop here. And don't worry, this isn't an ad for Blue Apron or anything like that. We haven't sold out yet. And uh, I just wanted to say thanks for tuning in again to the 1099 as we enter kind of a new era where I'm working as the main host. We still have some time to figure out whether or not Josiah is going to be able to uh, continue doing the show uh, while he holds a job at EA. And uh, I'm just excited to give it my all for this show and make sure that you guys get a good show every week where you either learn something new and interesting or you at least enjoy a conversation between uh, a couple of interesting people and i'm really excited for this first guest steven spawn the coo of able gamers who you may have seen at the game awards last year and i i hope you get something interesting or meaningful or if you struggle with uh, a disability or just something maybe mental or emotional i hope you get something inspirational from this conversation so again thank you for tuning in and if you like the music that one you're hearing right now and two that you hear as our new theme song you can check out the artist that's zach buckley you can find him at twitter at zw buckley uh, z-w-b-u-c-k-l-e-y or his website zwbuckley.com or his bandcamp zwbuckley.bandcamp.com anyway here's the show Well, hello again, and welcome back to the 1099 Podcast. I am your brand new host, Joseph Noop, and I'm glad you're here with us. And I'm really glad to have this first guest of mine here on the show. You know him as the COO of Able Gamers and the brand new Game Awards Global Gaming Citizen. I guess the first Global Gaming Citizen, because I think that's a brand new award they created just for him. Uh, Steven Spawn. How are you doing, Steven? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. And yeah, how do <laughs> I think that's probably the most recent news story that people might have picked up on you uh, for is winning the Game Awards Global Gaming Citizen and that really touching like two minute video kind of uh, a short story about your life and your work with Able Gamers. And uh, yeah, how how have you been after that? How how has it been kind of being a slightly higher on the uh, the totem pole uh, <laughs> of the games world? I suppose <laughs> you know, uh, winning the uh honorary title of global gaming citizen was definitely one of my highlights of 2018 um i don't know that i would say that it necessarily elevated me uh, per se as career-wise and that really i don't think was the goal of the entire oh yeah ordeal yeah. you know it, it was really just that i had been nominated the year before as trending gamer and you know jeff uh, took a lot of flack for you know the, the fact that there was a charity runner and uh you know the uh, game's not quick uh representative up against these massive streamers along with mm-hmm. you know super amazing uh gaming media personality and andrea and it's you know it, it was just an apples and oranges contest and you know uh whether or not they created the global gaming citizen just because of that i don't know but i do know that they felt really bad about the the unfair advantage that a giant streamer has versus somebody who's just trying to do some good for the world and and you know that 
it ties back into so much of like what the work of something like like able gamers has been is you're trying to give a voice to the voiceless and you're trying to advocate for the people who seem to historically have been uh, ignored by the games industry and they've had to find their own workarounds to enjoy the things that millions of us take for granted every day and so i i when i watched that little two minute video they had made kind of giving the the cliff notes version of your life i honestly like i started tearing up because that is such an incredible story about you know being told that you don't have long to live and of course like like some of those other kinds of stories you proved them wrong and uh there there's still always going to be the factor of of your health but I really want to hear the version of that story that takes longer than two minutes. You know, what's what's the what's the version of that story you tell to someone if you're just introducing yourself? <laughs> I don't know if I'd tell that story ordinarily right <laughs> off the bat. Yeah, I, am a, I am. A, I'm, I'm actually. Um, you know, it's it's one of the things I've talked to a lot of speakers. You know, I do have a very amazing privilege in that I've been, you know, in this position to try to represent people and and give voices to people that have been overlooked and ignored. And I've tried to use that platform as well as I could. But one of the things that I've gotten to do is is talk to speakers, and they'll all tell you that you know, on stage. You're this big, boisterous personality, but in your private life, you know, you kind of want to stay um, a little bit shyer. And so it was it was interesting telling that story, you know, where you're uh, revealing something that probably was one of those core memories of your entire life. Right. So. And uh, and and tell tell that story in a in a, I guess, a slightly <laughs> longer format for just for people who may not have seen that. Yeah. So. Long ago, back when dinosaurs were roaming the earth, I was in <laughs> high school. And, um, you know, one of the things about being in high school when you're disabled is that you have walls that separate you from the rest of your peers that are sort of invisible. You know, you can't necessarily stay for the after school activities because the bus that has the ramp on it has to take you home exactly when school's over. And you can't go out and hang out with your friends until you know, such and such medical procedures done. And these kind of time constraints kind of box you in on what you're allowed to do. So it, it keeps you away from having friends in a lot of ways. And it took me until my senior year to really start figuring out how to punch my way out of that box. And I did. I ended up figuring out ways to get around those time constraints and make friends and have a really great final year. The downside of that year was when it came time for everybody to get their quote-unquote final lesson from the guidance counselor and find out what you're going to do with the rest of your life you know everybody's getting mm -hmm. called into the principal's office to go have a conference with your guidance counselor and people who are trying to recruit various people from colleges so you got the masters of the chess club and the people who are in the science arts getting called in talking about going to Duke and you got the football people going to Penn state. And, you know, you got recruiters trying to pull these people along with the guidance counselor, pushing them to be whatever it is they want to be or can be. Well, when it came to my turn, you know, there was, it was a very awkward feel in the room overall because, you know, just sitting there in a room that's not really meant for a wheelchair in the first place with a giant oak desk and a door yeah. that I can barely get into with these two people 
tapping on a folder and sort of looking impatient on the idea in general. And they're looking back and forth between each other, trying to figure out how to approach the subject. And I guess that's when my guidance counselor at the time had gotten the idea that he was just going to be blunt and just let me know that, you know, I have terminal illnesses and, you know, I've been really lucky to make it as far as I have. And they've been really happy and honored that I was, you know, able to make it through their school system and I was able to do work and really kind of a patronizing experience. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, it, the, the culmination of the conversation was there's not a lot of points to you going on to college because you're going to die soon. So even if you go to college and even if we find one that's accessible, and even if we find one that would accept somebody as disabled as you are, you're probably going to die before you get to use those skills anyway. So why don't you just go home, find something to do with yourself and have some fun and, you know, hopefully it'll be a good time before you pass on. And, you know, my nurse is in the room with me and they're just infuriated looking like they're ready to punch somebody. And I'm sort of in shell shock, not really saying much, sort of just, you know, the, the stereotypical Hollywood mouth agape staring at the wall going, what did I just hear? Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm going into this room and I'm going to be told, hey, you know what? You are really good at math. I skipped my first 28 days of math class because it bored me because there was so little work for me to do. I could do the math problems in my head. Didn't even need the book or any uh, paper to write them down. I was really good at math. I was really good at English. I was really good at these basic skills that you need to get into college. And I was on the road to going to tech. That was just my calling was to be a tech person on computers working with technology. And instead of being told anything like I thought that I was headed towards, their answer was, well, you know what? You had your run. It was good. Good game. And that, to me, I, I, it reminds me of, I, I read uh, one of the blogs or like kind of essays you had written uh, back, I think around 2017. And I, it struck me so hard when I read this line that uh, y- you, you want to live, I'm paraphrasing, so correct me if I'm wrong. You wanted to live uh, as if, every day would be your last because there's, there's always this very real chance that it might be. And when you hear something like that, the, the like live every day as if it were your last, you know, sometimes it, it, it sounds just as patronizing because it's coming from like a life coach or something like that, who probably doesn't have that many problems going on, but to hear it from someone like yourself, it, it really puts a, a, a note on just the overall positivity and drive I've seen from someone like you, who y- you've been, <laughs> I actually, I, now that I think about, it, I forgot to introduce you as quite frankly, one of the most positive people I've ever seen on social media. And I think, <laughs> and I, I'm kicking myself now. And I think that that's just this really honest truth of, you know, you, you would probably still be a really, really good person if you didn't have an illness like that. But the the looking at someone like yourself and 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 being positive in that fashion uh makes me feel better in fact you you just the other day you tweeted out that you started collecting uh like images or screenshots of like nice things people told you and you put it all in a file i because of that i started my own file just called like you know nice things people have said to me because because like a a less than a week ago uh, uh some guy who i i honestly did not 
really remember said, Hey, yeah, like three years ago, you gave me some advice on getting into games freelancing. And now I work in a QA department at a like pre- pretty decently sized game studio. So thank you. And I'm like, wow. Uh, yeah. So what is it, what does it feel like when, what does it feel like to have this kind of impact on the industry to, to be a positive friend on Twitter and, and beyond? <laughs> oh, you know, there's like 19 questions in there. No, um, shit, so <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, you know, it, it's such a big subject and I, and I can understand why it's so hard to wrap that into a single question and a single answer, because it's, it's how do you tell a star to stop shining? Mm-hmm. You don't. And I feel like everyone on this earth is really, really good at remembering that we are mortals who, if we're lucky, get 65 years uh, when somebody passes on around us or a celebrity that we felt an attachment to passes on or a tragedy happens to one of our friends or our family members, you know, someone who's not necessarily very close, but close enough. And you go, oh, shit, man. I guess life doesn't go on forever. And you're really good at remembering that. And then the car payment comes due. And then the house payment needs done. And then your friend gets a depressed day and you need to help them drink. Mm -hmm. Or your girlfriend needs help. Or your boyfriend needs your attention. And before you know it, the life lesson of paying attention to what's going on around you and taking advantage of the day gets washed away by the monotony and the everyday chores that you have to accomplish. And I think we're very good at pushing off the fact that we're going to die. Nobody wants to think about that. And one of the advantages that this disability has given me is that I have thought about death a lot. I mean, I have had frank conversations with my friends going, listen, I don't know if I'm going to be around in five years. And they will start to tear up. And it feels good to see them tear up because I know they love me and they don't want me to, to go away, which, you know, that's nice and all that. But at the same time, for me, it's just a fact of life. Yeah, you know, I got a couple of illnesses. They're probably going to take me out. Oh, well, in the meantime, what can I do to make this world a better place? So that, you know, it's what has pushed me to try to help other people. It's what's pushed me to try to come and speak to people like you who have an audience that may have never heard of me or of my messages of positivity. and you know, hope that I can infect them with some light, so to speak. You know, I think this world can be very dark. Our political times are very rough. We mm-hmm. have, you know, uh, anger on Twitter, you know, jealousy on Facebook. You know, you have all these negative emotions around all the time. And, you know, there's very few people who I think are beaming sincere or real positivity, if you will. You know, everybody's got those friends. Uh, my friend Ali. Uh, was talking on Twitter the other day. She's like, if I see one more person turn into a robot that just tweets all positive quotes, I'm going to scream. And I, I laughed to myself because I know exactly the kind of person she's talking about. You know, you see these great quotes, you retweet them, you're like, I'm going to be a positive person today. But that's not that's not true. I think when people are being real with themselves, they'll just tweet out positive thoughts because they want someone else to feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, one of one of my favorite things to do on my stream i stream five days a week on twitch and every time i do you can set you know a title that you want to talk about what you're going to do that night you know i'm gonna die by some pirates or i'm gonna you know go fly in the stars well instead i decided i'm gonna use this little thing that broadcasts 
across anybody that follows me as a tiny little positive message. So every day I do a message that goes, hey, you, you're amazing. Or, hey, you, you remind me of a star because you're bright and shiny. Or, hey, you, you can do this. And I just, I use that as a way to push some happiness onto people who might need to see it at that particular moment. And I wasn't sure if it would it ever work until I had been doing it for almost 11 months. And I saw someone in the industry, who I won't name because I don't know if it makes them uncomfortable, but someone in the industry tweeted out and said, you know, I love when Steve goes live on Twitch because I never get to go watch. I'm always busy, but I always see his message on my phone and it makes me smile. And I had like this instant amazement on my face, like it's working. And then people started answering them and saying, hey, I like that too. I don't ever get to go watch your oh, stream, wow. but I get to see these messages. And and it really let me know that something I thought was just not even doing much actually was having some effect. And, you know, so anyway, that that's sort of the, the motto that I like to live by is if you do positive things and you bring goodness to the world, even if you don't see that it's making a difference, it is. And and if if it sounds like I'm not <laughs> like contributing here too much, it's just because I'm kind of like slack jawed at you know the the <laughs> the the level of thought and empathy that goes into an answer like that. And I think for for a lot of that, it probably all goes back to the community that surrounds video games. You know, I I've I've been to uh, to the game developers conference for it's going to be five times here soon, and one of the things that always strikes me, I I I went to. My first GDC, I cried because I'd been dealing with like some imposter syndrome and going to the game awards and seeing everybody celebrate these beautiful expressions of, of feelings and art, uh, seeing everybody celebrate the, the thoughtfulness and the, the empathy that goes into some of the, you know, more successful ones, uh, really struck me. And then during the second, uh, GDC I attended, I believe that was the year, uh, uh, Iwata died, the former, well, the, the late Nintendo president. And, mm, yeah. uh, and I remember they, Chris Kohler and a few other people produced this really beautiful video of, uh, a, tr a tribute to Iwata. And at the very end, it said on my business card, I'm a president to my family. I'm a husband and father in my heart. I'm a gamer. And again, the tears just like f flew out of me because I felt like I was part of a community. And if there's one thing that I've really gleaned from like reading about your work and able gamers and, uh, from your partner, uh, Mark, right. Uh, uh, from your partner Mark Barlet. Is it Barlet? Barlet. 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 Yeah. Uh, the the uh, executive director and founder of uh, Able Gamers. It seems like community is is one of the absolute biggest pillars of the work of something like Able Gamers because for uh, gamers with disability, it it is one of the biggest best windows they can have into a community that otherwise they may not have ready access to. Like you said, you know, it's, it's harder to develop friendships and hang out with friends when the bus has to leave at three o'clock uh, or else you don't get home. But with a game, you know, I've, I've made friends from across the country. Tell me, tell me about that sense of community and how it informs able gamers and the work you guys do. You know, I think it's, one of those very nuanced conversations because, you know, I was lucky that I met Mark when I was in my mid early twenties and he met a gamer that was young and cocky. Like we all are in our early twenties. And I was somebody who was just trying to play games, just 
like anybody else. There was nothing different or special about me that I could see. I was just a gamer, you know? And when I came to Mark, it was because my disability, which is progressive, I have SMA, which is spinal muscular mm-hmm. atrophy. It is a disease that slowly progresses and slips away your abilities over time. You know, you can some people can start walking and then they eventually end up quadriplegic in a Stephen Hawking kind of way. And for me, it started out where I could lift my arms and play on a Nintendo. And then by the time the Xbox One came out, all I could do was look at it. And, you know these kind of illnesses that take things away from you slowly require a lot of adaptation. And that was a very good life lesson for me in learning. You always have to take things as they come. Right. So Mark and I just really worked on a blog. Like, you know, when he started this whole able gamers thing, it was just a website. It wasn't anything more than that. It was, you know, he had his origin story of, taking care of his best friend Stephanie Walker who had MS and she had an MS flare up wasn't able to play EverQuest with him and it was horrifying because it was how they stayed connected right so he set out to figure out how he would continue to play with her and found there was like no resources out there so he was at the same point in his life where I was in mine where my resources were running out and he didn't mm-hmm. have any. So he had set up this blog, he, you know, just intended it to be a resource. And I came along sort of being like, ah, I know everything, you know nothing. And I saw this article on there and it was wrong. It was like, you can't play World of Warcraft if all you can do is use one hand. And I was like, well, I'm doing it with just a mouse. So you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, uh, instead of like turning me away, though, he reached out. He's like, hey, you think you can do better? Write an article. And I was like, ah, yeah, I can. And then you know, I wrote an article, and that article helped some people. Some people reached out to me and said, hey, this was really great. Well, this was good because no one had ever reached out to me before. That was really cool. Okay, so I got human contact. Nice. This is awesome. I want to do that again. And I did. And again. And again. And before you know it, you're hooked. You're hooked on this feeling of helping other people. And that is an isolation breaker in and of itself. Which is why I tell people, you know, with disabilities, find something you're good at and offer it to the world and the world will come to you. You know, video games are very much a window into an otherwise inaccessible world. If you have a mind that's willing and a body that's unable, well, that's your way to get in. So, uh, you know, when it comes to this kind of cross-section between... Steve Spawn and Able Gamers, it it really became, you know, a melding of the two. And, you know, I do have my own aspirations, just as does Mark and Craig and everyone else who is the leadership and everyone who volunteers for Able Gamers. We all have our own things. But along the way, you also find that changing the lives of people just feels so good that you just want to keep doing it. You want to keep, you know, all those stories in your brain of, this person that got helped or that person and you know suddenly those barriers that stopped you from being able to socialize with everybody well they just start falling away so getting to the work of able gamers and and helping gamers with disabilities tell me like what you guys are kind of doing on a a day-to-day basis who are the kinds of people you're talking to the kinds of companies you're working with and what does an average work week look like at able gamers 
<laughs> well, if you want to turn this into a six-hour <laughs> podcast, I can tell you all of it. I don't know um, if Zencaster will know. hold that, but we'll try. <laughs> uh, you know, so here's the truth of the matter. When Mark and I started this journey together 15 years ago now, if you believe it or not, a decade and a freaking half, mm-hmm. go figure. Um, it was just me and him against the world. And we slowly and surely got Craig Kaufman and Jesse Hawk and Kelso and Greg and Chris. And these people came to us because they loved what we were doing for the world, right? And so what became just a Mark and Steve doing literally everything became suddenly now there's departments of Able Gamers. You know, it's it's one of the things that honestly we're not that good at yet at able gamers we're not very good at bragging about ourselves nobody at able gamers and this is coming from the guy that runs the mm-hmm. pr department uh is very good at talking about themselves um we are trying to get better at that but right now we just want to go out there and do good for the world so you know i am running the grant department where we give controllers to people with disabilities the XPAC initiative where we give ten thousand dollars worth of equipment to hospitals rehabilitation centers and daycare facilities throughout the year as often as funding will allow you know mark is busy talking to the top companies in the world from you know uh activision we just did black ops 4 with you know two ones that if i was to mention their names a golden robot would jump out of the closet <laughs> and beat me to death for breaking ndas um so you know and of course microsoft we were privileged enough to do the xbox adaptive controller last year with you know so there's there's that and then you know you got craig reaching out and being everybody's best friend and raising fantastic amounts of money to be able to allow us to even do the work that we're doing you got Chris Powers, our VP, and Greg working on research on amazing new things that were coming out this year that, again, I can't even start talking about yet, that are going to change how the industry develops video games because it's that good. We've gotten props from the top engineers and coders in all of the major publishers on this thing that's coming out really soon. And it's going to be game-changing in a lot of ways. So... There's so many facets to Able Gamers. You know, all people really see is people smiling and us handing over controllers. But what you don't see is that took a team of three people, 12 hours to figure out exactly what that person needed. The six hours I spent on spreadsheets, the five hours Jesse spent figuring out the right controller configuration, the three hours that Craig had to put in troubleshooting, the two hours that Mark spent on the phone to get the thing working at the company. If we can't do the hardware, you got to do the software. So there's a lot of sides of Able Gamers that people just don't quite see. And it's hard to describe all that in cute little tweet forms, you know? And and you mentioned a company like like Activision, and I think when it when it comes to an organization like a hospital or a daycare or something like that, those those kinds of organizations probably gladly you know accept that that money and that input, uh, and you know are, are eager to take whatever donations they can get. But I, I gotta wonder, what is it like talking to a bigger company like Activision, and what we as an industry are only like in the infancy of talking about like some very serious accessibility issues, not just for gamers with disabilities, but for any sort of gamer that doesn't fit a, a very stereotypical image of like a, a straight white male. And 
I, I wrote an article like two years ago about uh, uh, gamers who are elderly, uh, like 65 and up, and just their thoughts and feelings and like the research around them and how in many ways the industry seems to be ignoring uh, this very one profitable but two very enthusiastic audience in favor of what their their preconceptions might be so when you talk to a big company like activision uh one what is it like and two what are things that uh we as gamers uh can push them to do better i mean yeah it's obviously an honor that's the first thing that comes to my mind when it comes to talking about working with a company like activision like microsoft you know these companies are doing this for a lot of reasons, but it's also because they care, right? And when you're talking about working with various companies of huge sizes, you're talking about people who may not have always been paying attention to minorities like the LGBT community, the black community, the Asian community, the gay community, the any community that you want to name right here that's a minority that's been being ignored for a large part of the industry. You know, as you said, you know, the average gamer was able-bodied white straight male. And that was just, you know, uh, the, the target demo for mm-hmm. video games. Well, now we know that more women than men play video games. We know that there are more young ladies playing games than there are young guys. We know that the LGBT community makes up a large percentage of video games. We know that there are 30 plus million gamers with disabilities. These are not small communities. These are not small niches. These are important demographics and groups of people that have influence and they can make a difference. And that's where gamers really can come in. If you want to support a minority, no matter which one you feel your pull to be an ally to, you can tweet, you can Facebook, you can write, you can forum, you can go carry your pigeon. Whatever you got to do to get a hold of your favorite company, tell them that you want them to support the rights of that particular group and every group. You know, it's, it's always interesting to me particularly when people tell me that they don't feel like they have power in the video game industry, because I know that's not true. I talk to these developers and I am very good friends with almost every PR person in our industry. And they all listen. They all hear just complaint after complaint and people having bad days. Do you know how much they appreciate when they hear somebody say, Hey, you know what? I really like your game. It's one of my favorite games. I wish that you would also work with this community. Because I think they would really love your game too. And yeah, you know, I saw you tweeting about that just the other day, and you know, it. I've I've tried to make it a a a better go of letting someone know, like, hey, I really like your game. There was a uh, uh, Battle Chef Brigade, which uh, you know was a beautiful, yeah. brilliant little game, and a, a burst of positivity when I certainly needed one uh, when it came out. I believe probably like mid twenty seventeen. I could or eh, probably early twenty eighteen. But uh, it feels good when, right, when you can show somebody like, hey, you did in fact make a difference and you yourself get to see that a little bit every day, right? Oh, absolutely. And so like jumping off of uh, the, the 
talking to large companies and working with them, we have to obviously talk about the Xbox uh, adaptive controller. Uh, that was, yep. if I if I am getting this correct, that was the production of that was begun kind of independently. That was Xbox's thing, but Able Gamers did provide like consultation on that. Correct. So yes okay. and no. Um, wh- what happened with that was that. Microsoft has, you know, multiple teams doing multiple things, as everyone knows, right? So they had a hackathon where they had someone working on the problem of what would a controller for someone who is disabled look like. And at the same time, about five years prior, Able Gamers had come out with our first controller with evil controllers. That was essentially what you see today in the Xbox Adaptive Controller. It was a black box that had a bunch of 3.5 millimeter jacks that you could plug a headphone wire into and you could make switches to be able to play games. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't smooth. It didn't look like, you know, a fancy Xbox controller, like you know, the good Xbox adaptive controller looks today. It was just very basic, you know, as nice as we could make it look and not it, uh, spend it, it was literally made it. with like rice bags. I, I saw, right. <laughs> The original prototype was made with rice bags with me and Adam Coe and Ben Heck, yeah. who's a famous hacker in, in our industry. Uh, yeah, just trying to throw together something. Yeah, At least that amazing. way, like when the controller gets um, wet, it's already going to be dry because it's a rice bag. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and if you're hungry, then yeah. you can just grab a snack. You know, it's, it's all there. Um, and, and this evolved into, you know, the, the black box of doom that we used to call it. You know, it's uh, it, it was it was sensitive. If you knocked it the wrong way, a board would come loose. And, you know, uh, it was it was it was so just, you know, uh, evil controllers and evil gamers trying to do what we could on a very limited budget. And I think it was amazing. It was it was revolutionary. It was, you know, we unveiled it FX East in 2012, I believe, wow. 2013. And. It was it was phenomenal. Everyone loved it, you know, and I'm super proud of our work with Evil, and uh, I'm glad we were able to do that. Um, but getting back to the Microsoft, you know, uh, we took all of the lessons that we had learned from that and brought it to Microsoft. You know, um, Bryce Johnson, who is the head of the Xbox Lab for Accessibility, you know, brought in myself and Craig Kaufman and said, "Hey, we're doing this really cool thing. You need to see it." And you know, we talked as much as we could without being under ndas and you know just a bunch of friend DAs. hey you know don't don't say the wrong thing here and uh we did then they got us under some paperwork and apparently that wasn't enough paperwork because when we went to our very first official meeting with microsoft they go yeah so um we can't actually show you the prototype because the lawyers say the nda wasn't tight enough so we're going to take this legal pad and we're going to draw it. And they started drawing the XAC. <laughs> and then show us what it looked like because the lawyers didn't say they couldn't draw it. They just said that we and, couldn't and I gotta, see the And I got to imagine for so, like for, for gamers with disabilities, yeah. that's that's got to be a, a crazy mm-hmm. idea because so much of, of getting around uh, a disability is tactile feel. Being able to say like, you know, with yep. my hands or with my legs or with my body – I can get an idea for how this works, but no, here it is on paper. Imagine it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that was a fun little obstacle to get around, but we did it. 
and you know, we shared a bunch of our information and then they you know went and did their thing and then they would come back to us and ask more questions and then we'd offer more advice and you know the meanwhile they're doing the same thing with a couple other organizations and before you know it you know we all combine our superpowers to to make what is today the xac and you know it's it's a super amazing device and it's not perfect it is not the cure-all you know we had and still have several people who keep buying it when they shouldn't because they have gotten a missed message that it's going to be the controller if you're disabled and it's not it's not intended to be. It's not what it was designed to be. It was designed to help people of a certain physical demographic that needed help. And then from there, we would keep going mm-hmm. and keep figuring out other things. And that's that's really we really are now. Is, you know, and do you, do you think that as an industry, we'll one day... Re- we, we can't possibly... Because of the scope of disabilities out there, there's no way we're ever going to get to like one sort of one version xbox adaptive adaptive controller 2.0 won't be the one answer for everybody so is is it a matter of maybe these companies uh or organizations like able gamers just taking it one step at a time and contending with like okay we've got we we've managed to have a reasonable solution for this group of people dealing with this but for this group of people dealing with this we cert we definitely need something different let's tackle that what what's the answer there if there is one you know here's the truth i have been saying since probably my very first podcast cuz I, I i think i still remember the first one i ever did in a closed room at a pax east where they like <laughs> shoved us in one of those small little corner rooms mm-hmm. with padding on the walls um and, uh, you know, we said, we're the only charity that wants to be put out of business. If it's ever a thing where accessibility is done, you know, drop the banner on the aircraft carrier, mission accomplished, you know, and, and we're done, then we would be happy to stop pushing the industry. It would be done. There would be no need for us anymore. And we could go away and we could go live our lives happily playing Fortnite like the rest of the industry. Um, but I don't think it's ever going to happen for a number of reasons. Number one, as things become more accessible, they become less accessible, right? As we have now the ability to take our phones and take our switch and take our Vita for the three people that still use Vita, looking at you, Greg Miller, um, (laughs) the, uh, you know, the, the accessibility of those to take them anywhere is great, right? Well, except that if you can't use those devices, it's not accessible to you. So now we got to figure out a new way to make that accessible. Um, just when the Xbox One came out and the PlayStation 4, Able Gamers had almost come up with an answer for the top 10 disability situations. Like, all right, you have Duchenne muscular dystrophy? All right, great. We got three items that will probably solve your solution let's take a look we can adjust them we can change them we can customize them let's do this the xbox one comes out and none of it works on the xbox one because why would it and that is that is just always the way it's going to be for assistive technology right it's uh it's one of those things where it's going to keep advancing technology is going to keep getting better we're going to get us you know virtual reality we're going to get augmented reality we're going to have to come up with ways to deal with that it's always going to be something new 
and I don't think the fight will ever be over, but I think that with enough groundswell of support, meaning people putting their time and effort into asking companies to support that particular niche of gamers who are disabled and want to play games, and people who will financially support able gamers and allow us to do the magical missions we do, then I think we'll always be able to keep up with technology, but we'll never get ahead of it. That seems to be the the case with with so much of technology is we we could never have seen the advent of something like streaming, the good and the bad it's done, or YouTube culture, or right. just internet culture in general, right? Uh, the last half decade of yep. games media has been on fire uh, <laughs> because of contending with how the internet has evolved, right? <laughs> uh, for better or worse. And... We talk. We we've been talking a lot about like iterative uh, uh, problem solving and and kind of evolving with with the business, yeah. evolving with the the culture. But what like overall, as you look back on yeah. a, a few years of of working with able gamers and and ideally you know many more to come, what do you think has been the biggest, maybe hardest lesson you've had to learn along the way, either either about yourself or the industry or the people you've like had to help. That's a that's a ball of a question. Um, so personally, I think the hardest lesson that I've had to learn is that not everybody wants to help. Uh, I think, particularly for someone like me who always sees the good in people, always sees that there's no reason to turn your cheek away from someone in need. It never computed in my brain that there would be people who are not interested in helping. But that was a very hard lesson we learned when we went to GDC. And there's a video on YouTube that any of you can look up right now called One Question. And it's where we literally asked developers, hey, one question. Have you ever thought about gamers with disabilities? And a few of them said yes. Most of them said no. And one dude laughed at us and walked away. So, um, it was, it was hard. It was a hard pillow to swallow. You know, we, we, and we only kept learning that more as we barked into the industry and, you know, we'd hear, yeah, that's not immersive to help gamers with disabilities. Yeah. I mean, I want to help, but gamers with disabilities really aren't that prevalent. There aren't that many of them out there. Uh, you know, I'd love to help you out, but we just don't have the money to only help the three gamers that this is going to help. And it'll cost us a million dollars. And those people didn't care. They didn't care to help. They didn't want to help. And that was very hard for me to learn that not everybody wanted to help. And what I had to do was Mark and I sat down together and we really had a heart-to-heart about whether we wanted to keep this thing going. And we decided we did because that old Fred Rogers ad ad of having, um, well, you don't have to add that part. That old Fred Rogers anecdote about you're going to have to mm-hmm. look to the helpers. Well, that's what we did. As we looked for the helpers, we found people who cared about our cause. We found people who wanted to be someone who would be a champion for gamers with disabilities. And we did. Um, so I think that that was my most powerful personal lesson that kind of bled into Able Gamers. And my most powerful Able Gamers lesson in general was just sort of the opposite that people really do care you know um 
in the 2017 to 2018 year, we almost raised a million dollars. We were so close. And, you know, a lot of that was thanks to Humble Bundle. And, you know, it's it's great when those come around. They don't come around every year. This In 2018, we did not get an opportunity to be on the front page with Humble Bundle, but we still raised hundreds of thousands of dollars because streamers care, gamers care, industry people care, and they want to see people with disabilities in the game industry. So, you know, it, it, it sort of went both ways. You know, you find that there's people who don't care, there's people who do, and you got to focus on the ones that do. you got to focus on the ones that are going to be willing to help and say, hey, you know what? Here's what I can do. I can't do everything you want, but I can do this. And I kind of, I kind of want to start off my last question with a, with a little bit of like, I guess you would call it personal anecdote. So, I, uh, I, uh, I'm ready. Uh, to go. Got it. Around October, um, 2017, uh, I, I got really sick, and I eventually was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and a particularly like nasty, aggressive strain of it. It's, it's in all of my body. And I remember that like for the first two or three months of, uh, uh, of contending with that and my doctor's trying to figure out like, what the hell is wrong with this 26 year old, formerly perfectly healthy guy? Uh, I was, you know, taking different meds and taking a month off of work. Uh, I had a day job at a bookstore. Uh, I couldn't move and I couldn't walk and I couldn't like get downstairs and upstairs without like a lot of help and a lot and a fair bit of pain. And I remember those two or three months kind of being like the most hopeless or, or like, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And the thought honestly entered my head of like, you know, am I, am I going to have to live with like some sort of disability? Cause like I can't walk. And since then I've, I've managed to find some medication that like helps me. I still can't run and I have to like be careful when I'm walking. I, I walk with a cane a lot of the time. Uh, but for, I, in this conversation, we've talked a lot about uh, gamers with disabilities who perhaps have had them for uh, a good long while or perhaps their entire lives. And I wonder if you have any thoughts or or tips or just general support, words of support for uh, players who maybe are uh, beginning to contend with something like that, like a, a degenerative uh, disorder of their own or something that's not immediate. And what should those people think about when they, when they begin to think about the next stage of their life? You know, if they still want to play games and they still want to like participate in those worlds, what do you say to those people to keep their chins up and to uh, uh, help keep making the games culture a better place? So, first of all, I'm glad you found some medication to make things as easy as it can be. That's a struggle, and I'm glad you're able to get there. Second, um, you ran into an anecdote that Mark Barley and myself have been saying for years when people are not hearing our message when it's delivered softly. And that is, you are one bad day away from joining mm-hmm. the Gamer with Disability Club. One bad day. You wake up, you suddenly have a pain that you don't know where it came from, and you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis that you don't want to hear. Or you go outside and your foot gets run over by a car. Or you go outside and you accidentally trip on the ice and you break your leg and now you have to catch up with your hand. You broke your hand too. Now you only have one hand to play. You're one bad day. 
And it sounds like a super scary. I don't want to think about that. Well, here's reality. Bad stuff mm-hmm. happens to good people all the time. Sometimes life just happens to people all the time, right? So, uh, you know, you need to be prepared for that kind of thing. Um, the You were talking earlier about my personal writing on my blog about some of the things that I've written in essay. And one of the things I wrote about was your last good day. And I wrote that because here I was, somebody who was living in not so amazing housing conditions on, you know, the government's dollar and living as best I could in, you know, this apartment building that wasn't amazing. And finally get out of that situation. I, you know, put in years and years of blood and sweat into a volunteer position and I, you know, I'm not out there in a day job, so I'm not really trying to push myself out of this situation, right? So I finally, you know, get my writing thing going and, you know, finally start pulling myself up and I come home and I get this great house and now I'm no sweet. I'm living it. I'm loving it. And I'm in the house for two months and my driving thumb, how I drive my wheelchair gives out SMA just decides, you know what? You don't need your thumb anymore. And it takes it away. So even for me, someone that is already disabled, I can have a bad day too. And I did. My my driving thumb died. I couldn't use my wheelchair. And now I have this fantastic new home, uh, sort of a new life beginning kind of thing. And now I'm trapped. I can't move. My independence has been stripped away. And I'm just a duck in the water. There's nothing I can do. And it hurts, and there were tears, and then I turned that into writing. And I poured out my soul onto the page, and I wrote that essay, and it got the attention of John Green. And it was one of the most heartfelt things I've ever written. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to take what had happened to me and flip it into something that maybe would give someone else a yellow light to say, hey, maybe... No matter how bad things are for you right now, you need to be reminded that it could be worse, that another bad thing could happen, or you might be starting to pull yourself up and then another bad thing will happen. You know, (laughs) so in the Hollywood movie, you know, that's the part where I'm supposed to live happily ever after. Well, I didn't. There was a bad thing happened Mm -hmm. and now I had to readjust my life and move forward, right? So um, to anybody who is having either a difficult time in life a disability, a place where you are not happy mentally, physically, emotionally, financially. Things are rough. Things are hard. The way that you keep your chin up is by remembering that the good days pass, but so do the bad. They're not always going to be bad. They're going to be better. And the real tips for how to deal with that is that there is no tip. There is no magic advice that anyone from... uh, Tony Robbins to Mel Robbins or any other you know guru coach you want to think of these these six helpful tapes yes 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 if you just pay twenty nine ninety five seventeen times um, none of that is going to give you the the ultimate power listening to us on the ten ninety nine podcast is hmm. not going to magically get you out of your situation it's going to take you it's going to take your effort your time and it's going to be you that saves the day so. Remember that you're never powerless. There's always things you can do. And I know what some of you are thinking. Ah, there's not always, Steve. Sometimes you can't. Well, maybe there's nothing you can do in the immediate, but maybe you can in the long game. 
And that's the way to remember tips about how to get through a rough situation is that life always goes on, whether you want it to or not. You just have to take the best path you can forward. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I really appreciate hearing some of those kind of words, both for myself and for, you know, I'm sure there's got to be some people who listen to the 1099 who find themselves in uh, similar or just kind of struggling situations. And I know that uh, continuing to talk about things like that is is a really important thing for this industry, just for the world in general. And, you know, I with my partner, uh, she, she's a wonderful woman and she's, she's made my life, uh, so much better. But one of the things that like, I'll never forget, she said, that kind of reminds me of the conversation we just had. We were joking around one day about like, you know, the, something, something really successful happened to her. She, she got into grad school or she like landed a really important job or something like that. And I was like, way to go, baby. You're gonna, you're gonna conquer the world. And she said, I want to save it. And you know, of course, we're we're not so deluded to think that we can save the entire world. There are there are always going to be struggles in it, but I've begun to like look, to think of it more as like I want to save you know one world, two worlds, three worlds. Whether it's just someone's day, someone's life, or just someone's way of thinking, and I hope that conversations like this can be a step on the way there. So I think we'll wrap it up there and. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being on this. This has meant the world, and I cannot imagine a better guest to kick off the new generation of the 1099. Um, aside from the stuff that will have a uh, a golden robot run out of your closet <laughs> and yank, in, yank into the nether realm, uh, is there anything you can talk about that Able Gamers is doing in the near future that you guys are excited to promote? Yeah, we will be at all the major conventions this year, so make sure to Look forward to seeing us at all the PAXs and, you know, maybe in RTX, you know, I'm hoping that maybe I can get down to one this year. Will um, I see you at GDC? Uh, you will not see me at GDC. The the uh, FAA is really angry about trying to get a power wheelchair onto a plane, as I found by trying to get out to the Game Awards. It just doesn't <laughs> work. Um, but, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be somebody from there. We're giving talks all over the place. Um, keep an eye on Accessible.Games. That's our website for developers that uh, want to learn about the design patterns of making things accessible easily and you know keep an eye on our twitter and our facebook you can catch us able gamers just about everywhere and you're always finding out new things about you know what we're going to be up to next you know nobody knew about us being on nbc until it happened you know as i said we're we're bad about bragging about ourselves but you know, we're out there, you know, you can see we post at least uh, as often as we can pictures of our grantees as they allow us to do that. Um, just today, we got another video that came out of Connor, um, a young man who needed a larger keyboard with a much more readable font and a very fancy mouse in order to be able to play games because he couldn't do anything. And, you know, those kind of stories are, you know, really what, what keeps us going and how you can look for what we're doing is by seeing what we've done. Awesome. Well, everyone, please make sure to go support uh, Able Gamers and all their work. And of course, every Monday, you'll find a new episode of the 1099 where we're talking to some of the industry's most important, brightest, and quite frankly, most positive people I can never hope to speak to. Steven Spawn, thank you so much for being on the 1099. Hey, thanks for letting me be the uh, first guest ever. It was a very nice honor. 